Tony, great to meet you. Which part of the world are you in? And given it's so miserable here in the UK, I'd love to know what the weather is out there as well. I'm in the Palm Springs, La Quinta area, and it's uh, 62 going to 75 Fahrenheit today, sunny with uh, just a few clouds, beautiful weather. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, I'm working the whole time. Well, that's why I love this job, because uh, I can share in the weather around the world. For our European listeners, that makes it around about 20 to 24 degrees centigrade. So I'm I'm sorry you're stuck inside. I'm sure you'll better get outside for a bit. But great to have you on board. And then, Michael, you're on the other side of the world. We've had many things in the background on the podcast, dogs, cats. We've had a Spitfire once. We've never had a bush turkey. So you warned us you might get a bush turkey joining us. If we do, we're definitely going to keep that in. But welcome. And yeah, you're down in Sydney. It's some horrible time in the morning down there, I think. Quarter past seven in the morning now, so enough to get up and awake. And you'll hear some birds in the background, maybe. Australian bird life is pretty pretty vibrant. Bush turkeys are less of the sweet songbirds and more the, the thump thump on the tin roof of the shed I'm sitting in. So before we kick off, I'm just going to give an overview to Nearmap. So you were founded in Australia in 2007. You're previously listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, recently acquired by Toma Bravo for around... $700 million US, and the company is capturing high-resolution images in US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and others, I believe. And you're converting these into property information that insurers are using for both pre- and post-underwriting, and that also includes looking at claims, as well as government and some other industry verticals. Tony, you're Executive VP and General Manager, and Michael, you are Senior Director of AI Systems. Tony, I'd just like to come to you, first of all, because I saw you had a really interesting career, it looked like you've Started off in mapping, then did a stint with marketing technology, and now back into uh, Nimap. But I'd love to know what it was in the past that brought you into where you are now with uh, in insurance and Nimap. And Nimap, I'm a demographer by training, which is the science of populations. And at a graduate school, I started working on estimates and population estimates for census data and zip code data for small area geography. I would bring it current to the current year, and we use it for site location analysis. That then led to a career in automation, let's say in general, but originally started with mapping and demographic analysis. And then I, as the marketing automation world grew, as the automation of campaign segmentation and targeting started to become more common in the U.S. and globally, I worked for a number of different marketing automation companies, but also continued to dabble in the mapping world and had an opportunity to come to Nearmap seven years ago. That's been a lot of fun since the company has grown rapidly during that time. And then, Michael, I see you did your PhD looking at images on the seafloor. It was out in Australia. I must have spent quite a lot of time hanging out in the waves and diving. But I guess the world of insurance just was too exciting to resist. But I'd love to hear a bit about the PhD and then what it was that literally dragged you out of the, the water and the sort of one extreme to the other, I guess, from underwater to up into the skies. I've jumped around a little bit career-wise, so started in in deep technology and medical devices, hardware, firmware, software for ear implants. Then I went underwater to do this PhD where you basically take these autonomous robotic vehicles, throw them off a boat, and they go and map the seafloor with cameras. And I was trying to interpret what's in those images in an automated way to save marine scientists from sitting down for months just labelling species of coral and kelp and all sorts of things. Technically, it wasn't uh, insurance that got me out of the water. I jumped from there into banking for a little bit and experienced big enterprise. But then I've been at Nearmap for the last uh, six years. 
a near map is really, in many ways, it's the same thing as what we were doing underwater, except we do it from the sky. And the lure of just that, that massive data set of tens of petabytes of imagery and the opportunity to turn that into information for people to use for real practical purposes, that was too good a lure to resist. So we've had a number of people we've spoken to helping insurance companies identify what's on the ground. Most of them are primarily using satellite data. You've chosen to use predominantly aircraft. Michael, can you just explain a little bit about why Nearmap uses aircraft? And I don't think it's exclusive, but as a preference to using satellite data. Satellite data is really a, it's a very different game to aerial imagery. I, from the outset, and when I first joined, I, I assume they were fairly close together. But look, satellite caps out around 30 centimetres per pixel, and we're capturing it around five or a little bit more centimetres. So much higher resolution. So those pixels are about the size of a playing card. And they've also got to consider the fact that those satellites are capturing through a much larger amount of atmosphere. There's a lot more clouds and other things in the way. And that 30 centimetres, they have to use a whole lot of tricks to get up to there. So uh, it's not really the equivalent. In a practical sense, are you looking at the difference between maybe starting to spot what material a roof is down to are there a couple of shingles missing on that roof? And that, particularly in the insurance use case, it's nice to be able to recognise the objects. That's helpful. But the real value that we see is in understanding the state and the condition of those objects. And for that, you need really subtle textural cues that you get from imagery, uh, from planes. That's really helpful. So, I mean, that playing card analogy versus the the 30 centimetre, well, for our US listeners, 12 inches, about the size of a legal pad or a A4 document, kind of a very helpful way to bring it to life. And then, yeah, it completely makes sense as you talk about yeah, a couple of shingles can mean your roof gets ripped off in a hurricane or cyclone or typhoon, depending where you are in the world. As you talk about size, you mentioned earlier petabytes of data. That sounds like a big number, but I'm not quite sure how big it is. What would be a good way to sort of bring that number to life when you talk about the sort of data that you yourselves have access to? So I'm not sure of the exact figure at the moment because it keeps growing, but let's call it something like 30-odd petabytes of data. That's 30,000 terabytes about 30,000 you know, laptops worth of data. It's a lot. I was at Australia's biggest bank for a while, and I think we had a couple of petabytes of data across the entire bank. Yeah, no, it's pretty extraordinary considering how much I think we can cram into one laptop these days. And then within these aircraft that are acquiring the imagery, I'm guessing you've got some pretty sophisticated equipment to be able to get that playing card level resolution. What do you use to be able to do that in terms of the technology? Absolutely. That's really the core of where Nearmap began as a company, as a sort of novel camera technology company, and really kept pedal to the metal on innovation on that front ever since over the last 15 years. We've actually just launched our latest camera system a couple of months ago, Hub Camera 3. So it doesn't really look much like a camera anymore. Uh, There's so many bespoke parts from stabilization systems and lenses and all, all sorts of bits and pieces that are custom designed. You've got to think of a light plane kind of bouncing around 10, 20,000 feet up in the air with a long zoom lens of some kind. It's got to capture these sharp, crystal clear pictures on the ground and geolocate them accurately. The original core of our innovation has been around what we consider the world's best aerial imaging systems. It's only more recently in the last sort of five years or so that we've really gone into the artificial intelligence and information space. Now I've got this image in my head of an aircraft bouncing up and down the skies. I once took a Cessna for a test flight, which convinced me I should not learn to fly. What kind of aircraft do you typically fly that are bouncing up and down with your cameras? 
on board. We're pretty flexible, but a little Cessna is a good example of the kind of thing. We can fit these sort of standard survey hole-sized things that they have in the bottom of a plane for surveying. If you imagine trying to lean out of the window of that plane and, and capture a shot on the ground and hold the camera steady to kind of pinpoint accuracy, good luck to you. What happens now when you want to turn those into information that insurers can use? This is, I'm assuming, where you start to apply your machine learning and artificial intelligence. The first really important thing is that the imagery is useful in its own right. The first disruption that Nearmap helped businesses to do for themselves was to go from physical site visits to virtual site visits by looking at this imagery to understand what's going on. The next bit is really, I would say, an equal, again, sort of magnitude of disruption where people say, that's great that I can virtually visit these buildings, but I don't want to. I don't want to look at all the pictures. I want that turned into information. That can come in a number of forms. It can be property attributes, you know, is there a swimming pool? Are there solar panels? Yes, no. All these kind of questions that you'll have in your pre-fill or assessing quote for policy, as well as these sort of, these high definition, what we call vector maps of the world. We basically turn each pixel of imagery using custom deep learning models. We turn those pixels into pixels of meaning. And then we've got all these complicated algorithms that run on top uh, to turn that into a wide, wide variety of answers. And ultimately it comes down to things like something we released not that long ago, a roof condition summary score where you turn our, our image into eight different types of roof condition issue and, and the detailed map kind of, if you can imagine drawing a little outline on each part of the roof of where those different problems like rusting and missing shingles are, then you want to go a step further and say, actually, is the roof good or is it poor? And what's the overall state so that you can, uh, you can make decisions on it, you can reason about it more quickly and easily. So you've got this whole stack, really. At the one end, you've got those really beautiful, crisp, high-resolution images. And on the other end, you've got, you know, is the roof any good? Yes or no? And there's a lot that happens in between. And what about types of building? Because I'm guessing, well, I know, actually, your residential buildings tend to be more homogenous, a little bit easier to get the data out of, but commercial buildings can be quite complicated, particularly when you start looking at campuses and complex industrial sites. How sort of far can technology go to be able to extract those pixels of meaning? I would say the rule of thumb at the moment is that if you, as a human, can spot it reliably in our imagery, it can be picked up reliably as, as part of the machine learning model. Uh, we actually just use one global deep learning model, which produces all of our attributes. So it kind of simultaneously learns about shingle roofs and tile roofs, discarded tires, junk and wreckage, you know, lifted shingles, all sorts of stuff just crammed into this one model that is is learning what what patterns in the imagery for the actual kind of semantic content of that image, you know, what's there in that image. And you're doing this really by using human expert validation. So we've got more than a million labelled images that human experts have gone through and very meticulously labelled the content of those images. And you're just training these really, really powerful algorithms to learn to replicate that. And I think often in the past, when people have been thinking about or offering ways of looking at imagery of property, it's been based around the belief that an underwriter would go and literally do a Google lookup or do some equivalent of it. And the way you described it is clearly much more efficient for an underwriter or somebody making decisions, which is you actually populate the underwriting information with the description of what is there. You're not expecting people to go and look at images 
I believe if they want to go and, well, I think the way you described it, you explained it, if they want to go and look at some of the, the data behind that, they can then go and get more detailed information. But you're kind of helping the frictionless workflow or at least reducing the work of the underwriter by actually giving them the data right in their, in their decision-making process. Is that, have, I, have I understood that correctly? So in terms of making practical use of our data, uh, an underwriter doesn't just get the information about what is there or the, or the condition of it, they get confidence scores. And so, for example, we might be 99% confident that uh, there is a solar panel on this building. And, and a lot of our confidence scores are very, very high due to the power of these uh, deep learning models. Sometimes they might want to go and look at an image, and the imagery is always there. We very strongly advocate for people looking across the full stack of imagery to information because there's the most successful use cases I see, I'll put it this way, are always ones where people are uh, are sort of moving freely across that stack. Because if there's a case, for example, where we're a little unsure and we think there's only a 70% chance that there's a solar panel there, an object-by-object basis, and you can decide what to do about that. If it comes down to roof condition, for example, you might want to send a, a physical inspector on site. But of course, first you'll go and look at the picture and say, well, do I get enough information as a human looking at that image? And then maybe I need to send someone on site. But you're sort of creating a funnel where the majority of buildings can be dealt with in a, in a much more fully automated manner. A smaller portion need visual inspection through our imagery and tools, and then a much smaller portion, again, will then need, uh, need some kind of physical inspection. So, Tony, I heard uh, Arch Insurance is one of the companies that's working with you. It's great to know some examples of what people are doing. Kavir, what you're doing with, with Arch and any other companies you're working with? Yeah, happy to do that. So this is a division of Arch called Ventus Risk Management. And in essence, what Ventus does is coastal commercial building risk. They're insuring commercial buildings that are within 50 miles of bodies of water and shorelines and, of course, are prone to you know, potential flooding or natural disasters. What's interesting about this use case is, is they were able to integrate our source photo obliques, not to get too, too technical, but imagine being able to look at a building from an angled perspective where you could see the number of stories associated with the building and the number of windows and the condition of the roof um, all immediately from your desktop, point number one. But secondly, integrated into your commercial risk management system. And that's what they've done. They've taken our source photo obliques. They've integrated that into their system for underwriting and claims. And you're able to see the north, the south, the east, and the west direction of the building, along with other attributes and property data that they have about the building to see whether or not they want to insure it. Are they overinsured or underinsured in certain areas? How is their risk portfolio balanced, especially around those coastal areas? So very interesting use case. Yeah, the height of the building is really critical for hurricane, also very critical in, in earthquake states. Do you have any sort of data or, or examples of the sort of the differences when you actually get that resolution or that data provided by aerial imagery versus what people might be getting from their, what the insurance companies are getting from their brokers or getting from their the original clients? Yeah, so there are big differences. I mean, most insurers until Ariel came about were using other commercial sources like Google. And, you know, a lot of times that lacks a date stamp. Um, It isn't updated as frequently as they would like. Typically what happens is they just don't have 
current imagery. And in essence, they're misrepresenting the property because they don't have that. You touched on, on integrating into systems. Can you talk a little bit about how does NearMap actually provide the data to your customers? Is that through an API into their systems or they have to go to a separate system to get that? Yeah, there are two primary ways for a customer to use NearMap. There is our, our standalone map browser technology where any user can just log into map browser. They can search for an address. They get not only the current imagery, which is typically very current within days, weeks, or months of the current date, but they also see that entire historical archive and they can see how that property, commercial or residential, changed over time. So that's very commonly used. And in the insurance world, there are lots of users who do that on a one-by-one lookup. But what's also very interesting and a little bit more integrated is you take NearMap APIs, in essence, the imagery that streams into their underwriting and claim systems, and you have it completely integrated in. So that if somebody is trying to assess risk, trying to do underwriting, they can see the image, but they see it in conjunction with other property data that they have and potentially even past claims that have been made. And in a lot of cases, they look at the image not only from a top-down perspective or vertical imagery, but they also see the oblique angled perspective and all of the different photos that we take as we capture this imagery over time. And you mentioned oblique a couple of times. That oblique is essentially referring to the walls or the vertical items as opposed to an aerial imagery that you might more commonly associate with satellite or you know, different types of aerial imagery. Is that right? In the aerial imagery world, there are three basic types. There's vertical imagery where you take the picture from straight down just above the building. So you just see the roof. We call that vertical. There's oblique imagery where you take the photo on an angle and you see, of course, the height of the building, the number of stories, the vegetation um, that's in close proximity to the building, and you see the, the landscape around, but you're seeing it on an angle perspective. What we were able to also do is take that and turn it into 3D imagery. So imagine if you're in a photorealistic application, you're looking at the landscape and the buildings in three dimensions, and you're able to navigate through the landscape as if you're walking through it. You can walk down the road. You can look at the roofs of buildings. You can look at the sides and walk around the back of properties. And this is something that insurers are now starting to think they need to do more of augment the vertical and the oblique imagery with the 3D perspective. That's really interesting. And so in terms of how the the data is provided, it sounds like you've got a library of images so an insurer can get access to those. Are you also providing sort of data on demand or fly on demand for people that have got a specific need in the short term or something you don't already provide? We fly in the spring and the fall And a lot of times we fly in the summer as well. We do cover a a lot of the U.S., 85% of the properties in the U.S. We cover Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. But there are cases when somebody wants an area that might be just outside of our coverage area. We'll do that. We have a special program for that. We call that NearMap Nows. They'll help us define the area that they're interested in. And since we've got the aerial capacity, the planes, and the cameras. We can do that on a demand basis and also make that available either through Map Browser or through the APIs or both. And then, Tony, what about the way you partner with 
other organizations so you talked a bit about what you're doing for your clients but are you collaborating with other providers of data and systems just for the benefit of your clients yes we there are insurance solutions let's call them that are out there in the market where we do partner we'll make our imagery available um, to them in many cases those insurance solutions will add other attributes to our data set our imagery set in some cases they derive their own ai and use a combination of our artificial intelligence with theirs. They also may look at claims data, for example, and package that inside their solution. We largely concentrate on the direct model, but we do have a partner-friendly approach where we will license our imagery to third parties for resale. And then talking about the Toma Bravo acquisition, I mean, NIMAT was already a successful company. What, what does the acquisition mean now in terms of how you're going to be developing further in the future? And I would say, look, here's the benefit. Great guidance from Tomo Bravo executives because they've done this many times. They understand how companies can operate efficiently and how you create that operational efficiency. So they coach us on that. We are pointing toward profitable growth. That was the key thing behind the Tomo Bravo acquisition. Rather than a approach where it's growth at all costs, it's very, very focused, targeted, profitable growth. I think the the fourth thing is is they open up opportunities for us, not only to work with other other Tomo Bravo companies, but other connections that they have in the market in the insurance world. And the last one is probably the most important one is investment opportunities. You know, Tomo Bravo bought Nearmap so they could invest and help us grow rapidly, and that's the key. Very pleased with the the leadership, the guidance, and the caliber of the people at Tomo Bravo that are helping us. Yeah, that's really helpful, Tony. Thanks. Well, finally, before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't talked about you'd like to talk about or add into the discussion? Yeah, it's a good question. The value associated with NearMap comes in a, a few characteristics. One is the complete stack of imagery. We talked about vertical, oblique, 3D, and AI. Uh, so that's really important. We're able to produce this at scale. The second thing is the ability to deliver the imagery, and we mentioned this, through map browser or through APIs, but keep in mind that some people actually want the imagery at their location, so we'll, we'll work on that as well. Both a direct and a partner model, so we can enable some of our partners, is important. And I think the people at NearMap really make things different, very committed, love what they do, love the aerial imagery space and are cooperative and collaborative all the time. Great. Well, Tony, Michael, it's been a real pleasure learning more about NIMAP, particularly some of the technology you're using and you know, some of the progress in this whole fascinating area as we start off talking about. I hope to see you face-to-face, -face, maybe who knows, US, Australia, maybe even back here in the UK, but thank you very much. Thanks, Matthew. Nice talking with you. Anytime you need us, just let us know. Nice to chat. Lovely to meet you.